Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. So we are continuing in our year of the Bible. Let me encourage you, you can go to the Version or the Bible app and you can type in Year of the Bible. Click on plans, type in Year of the Bible. And we, we have released our fourth installment. You could Click on part four, and let me encourage you, continue to follow along. If you were hit and miss over the last few weeks or couple weeks, it's okay. You can start over today. God's grace is new every morning, and you can jump in and join. No condemnation, no shame, but join join us as a family as we're walking through this incredible story of God's love and his purposes and his call to, to mankind, but specifically to you, that you would hear God's voice as you read his word. And let me encourage you as families, if you could take 10 minutes after dinner or before bedtime, read the devotional, read the passage. If, if there's a, um, one of the videos in there from the Bible project that we partnered with, watch that, pray together, and God's going to transform your life. So let me encourage you, you can do that. And let's continue to do that through the summer. Really excited. So we've been studying the incredible events of the Old Testament. And we're looking at the, the Bible as a whole from Genesis to Revelation. We've identified 50 major events that aren't just, just random events that happened in time. There's just not random things that God thought, I think I'll do this one day. These are God's, he's connecting all of these major events to speak to us, to tell us a bigger story that he is working his plan to re-inherit the nations of the world back to himself. And so it, we have to be careful not to isolate one event and then make weird theology about the one. No, it all fits in and slots in to a story that God is telling so we've been on a journey of following God's people. It's been amazing and we've seen, we've seen God do miraculous things time and time and time again. And we've seen the pictures of Christ. We've seen the pictures of the sacrifice. We've seen the pictures of God's faithfulness. We've seen all of that and we realize, my goodness, God's heart from the very beginning was pointed to his son who would come and re-inherit the people of the world back into himself so they could be in his family. This is the story God is telling. Many people, when you look at the Old Testament, they look at me and old daddy God. Can you believe how angry God was? Listen, it was God's idea to send his own son for your sinful butt. That's just the reality. It was God's idea. He loves you for God so what? Love, not hated, not, not, not couldn't stand to be around you. They didn't want to see you. Jesus, go and take care of them. I can't even look at them. No, God's idea to send his only son to give his life for you. Now that's a God that is loving and kind. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so we've seen God working his plan for the purpose of using a people group that he chose from Abraham, using a people group to eventually bring his son Jesus through them, to bring God in the flesh, to represent you, to represent me, to be our substitute. And he, Jesus, God in the flesh became everything that we are. He became our sin. He became our failures. He became our mistakes. He became our sickness. He became our, 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 our humanity. And by his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection, all of that, because of that, he purchased us. And by our faith in him, we can now, as he became everything that we are, we can now become everything that he is and we can receive everything that he is. But this is where we're working. We're moving to that moment, but we're still under the old covenant 
meaning that's where we are reading. Today we're in the new covenant. Now, I want to go back to the Israelites as we join the story. And as, as a reminder where we are in the passage today, as you've been following, we're going to be in Numbers chapter 11. But as a reminder, they've been enslaved for over 400 years. And God chose a man named Moses to lead them out of slavery, which is their exodus from slavery to freedom. And on their way out of their enslavement, they came to a Red Sea. And they quickly realized we're helpless. We got nothing. We're doomed. Pharaoh's on our, on our heels. And they quickly realize we don't have a military. We don't have weapons. And Pharaoh's going to kill us. I think we're going to die. Matter of fact, someone said, I think we're going to die. And so there they were. They were freaked out. And all of a sudden at the Red Sea, the Red Sea opens. So these people who thought they'd come to their end, they walk across on dry ground. As they get across, they can hear the, the roar of, of Pharaoh's army. They can see the dust of the desert, and he is, he is booking it right behind them. He's coming. He enters the sea, and they think, he's going to come and kill us. Thanks a lot, God. You brought us to this side to still kill us. And as Pharaoh enters the same pathway they were on, and they think they're going to die, and as the fear grips their hearts, the sea walls collapse. And they see Pharaoh swallowed and all of his army are killed. And it's there they realize the one who has enslaved them is now defeated. That they are no longer, it was important, I believe, it was important for them to see their, their slave master destroyed. And here they stood on the other side of the Red Sea. Open desert. Now what? Now what do we do? There's a couple million of them that had just crossed the Red Sea. And now they get over there, they go, oh no, how do we know which way to go? We're lost. We're in the desert. I don't know. I don't have a compass. I don't have my GPS. I don't have my iPhone. What do we do? And then all of a sudden, right as they were about to freak out, this pillar of a cloud shows up in front of them. And so they know, oh, we just follow the cloud. And then as the sun goes down and the crisp chill settles quickly in the desert as it does, their hearts are concerned. We're going to freeze to death out here. And all of a sudden, a pillar of fire appears. In the same moment that they thought they were going to freeze to death, they feel the warmth from God's fire on their backs and on their faces, and they're warmed by God at night. They never have to worry if God was somewhere else because he then had instructed them to build the tabernacle. And as they thought, well, what if God is somewhere else and doesn't see us? God says, no, 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 no. I'm going to come in the, in the midst of where you are. I'm going to encamp in the middle of you. And so anytime their heart worried, maybe God has forgotten, they, they glance over the tabernacle and they see the fire burning from it and they sense the presence of God. And so God came down to be in their midst, not because he wanted to watch them, because he wanted to give them assurance, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And here are these, these people, they experience miracle after miracle, blessing after blessing, favor after favor, assurance after assurance, time and time and time again. They will never be without water. They will never go hungry. They will never be lost. They'll never have to buy clothes. They'll never have to knit new ones. This is where these people are. Sounds like a pretty good deal to me. And so we come to our passage today, which this is a very challenging passage. 
We've been looking at the types and shadows of Jesus, and it's been, it's been so life-giving to us. But here in the middle of this and these miracles, we see this, 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 this humanity that arises. And I promise you, somewhere today, you're going to find yourself. Everybody say, oh, no. <laughs> I promise you, you will. Numbers chapter 10, verse 11, it says this, In the second year, in the second month, on the 20th day of the month, the cloud lifted from over the tabernacle of the testimony. So they're at the foot of Mount Sinai, and now it's time to move. And the people of Israel set out by stages from the wilderness of Sinai, and the cloud settled down in the wilderness of Paran. They set out for the first time at the command of the Lord, of the command of the Lord by Moses. And so here you are. It's time to move. They've made it to Mount Sinai. They've received the law. They've, they've been instructed about sacrifices. They've been instructed about the tabernacle. And so Numbers 10, says, so they set out from the Mount of the Lord three days journey. So they just left, they're gone three days. And the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord went before them three days journey to seek out a resting place for them. And the cloud of the Lord was over them by day whenever they set out from the camp. So God has done all these things for them. And we come to this interesting passage, jumping to Numbers 11, that something shifts. And it says this, and the people complained. Everybody say complained. People complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So the name of that place was called Tabera because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Moving to verse four, then the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to craved the good things in Egypt. And the people of Israel also began to complain. And this is what they were complaining about. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. Funny they didn't mention the whip on their back, but boy, they remembered the fish. And we had all the cucumbers all the melons, all the leeks, all the onions, and all garlic we wanted. But now our appetites are gone. And all we ever see is this manna. Now you could put the word stupid right before manna and it would reflect what they were feeling. And all we ever see is this stupid manna. I'm sick of it. And we eat it, and then we get more, and that's it. Now, we just, we, we, we just seen that God had been providing. He'd been with them. He had, he had delivered them from slavery. He provided manna. They just, well, what do we do with it? Pick it up and eat it. The women started making manna recipes. They actually did a whole church recipe book on manna recipes. 
You can grind it. You can soak it overnight. You can pat it into, and here's the deal. You can make tortillas out of it, praise God. (laughs) Now, here's what's interesting. There are only three days from the Mount Sinai. There are only three days from the glory of God on the mountain. There are only three days. And they're moving to a land that has been promised to them. Not that they have to go and earn, not that they have to go and buy, not that they go, have to go and work for. It's there, go and get it. Just go, go on, be like, hey, this is mine. Get off the land and God will be with you. They're walking, their bellies are full. They're not thinking, my family's safe, my, 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 my wife is safe, my children are safe. God, thank you, we're so grateful, we're free, we're not slaves anymore. We don't see any of that going on there. They're, they're not saying, my enemy is dead, praise God, we're free. And instead of thankfulness and instead of gratitude, it's murmuring and complaining. Have you found yourself yet in this passage? I'm just checking, want to make sure. The word actually in verse one, the word complaining there can, in, in the Hebrew, it's, it's like a, a, a murmurous sighing groaning. It's like, oh. It's like if, if now my children don't do this, but it's like when you ask your children, Hey, can you just go take out the trash and, oh. And they're expending more energy doing, oh, than just pick up the trash and take it outside. And as a parent, then they just make you feel so just appreciated and loved. Murmurous, sighing, complaining. Interesting, this happened also before. This is not the first time we've seen this. In Exodus 15, right after the Red Sea moment, right after the Red Sea moment, they needed some water. So they found some water and they took a sip. They go, this is bitter. We don't like it. Now, three days ago, they saw their their slave master destroyed. Three days ago, they they saw the enemy defeated and they were free. They saw the Red Sea split. They walked across on dry ground. The little four-year-old boys poked the sea turtles as they were walking by. I mean, they remember this. And they lean down and they take a sip of water. And this is a little, this this isn't sweet water, it's kind of bitter. And Exodus 15, 24 says, the people grumbled against Moses. What are we going to drink? How quickly they forgot. Moses, we don't like the taste of this water. Moses, this water's nasty. What, Moses, what are you going to do? I mean, are you going to bring us out and make us drink bitter water all the time? Totally forgotten that they're no longer slaves. Their families are safe, and the God of the universe is in their midst. 
back to the manna, the murmuring. Think of, think of a moment about Moses. Think about what he's been through. Think about what he has sacrificed. He's done nothing but work and serve these people. He's the one who wrote this book. Talk about, talk about the, like demoralizing. Listen to what Moses, so Moses wrote this book. So, so in other words, this is a bit of a first person kind of right, but he's writing it. it but listen to this. He says, Moses heard all the families standing in the doorways of their tents whining. So Moses walking through, came in, hey, how's everybody doing? All he hears is, can you hear me? This stupid manna. I wish Moses, what kind, of, what kind of leader is Moses? He thinks he'd bring us out here and feed us this, this weird, fluffy, white stuff. Like, mom, I'm so sick. And dad's like complaining. Mom's complaining. And he hears them. They're standing in the doorways of their tents whining. They're probably looking at another doorway of the tent. I know, ain't it awful? This is terrible. I don't like this manna. It tastes like, I, don't, I, I can't believe it. And they're just complaining. The spirit of complaining possessed them. And the Lord became angry. Now look. And Moses was very aggravated. Actually, this word could be depressed, dejected, disheartened. One of the toughest things really for a leader to stay motivated, stay focused when you're serving on behalf of God's people or God's call in your life, whatever that may be, could be wherever you are and whatever God's called you to do, is when you're doing what God's asked you to do and you all of a sudden realize I'm the lightning rod for everyone's pain. And they're whining, not about God, about Moses. Moses. So verse 11, and Moses said to the Lord, now listen, this hurt Moses. He has been given his life for these people. And then here we see this interaction now between Moses and God, between from Moses who represents who we can all become as, as leaders and people who come into the presence of God boldly and all of this that, that we are, that manifests us or opens the door for us in Christ. But here is Moses, he comes to God. He says, God, why are you treating me, your servant, so harshly? Now what's interesting is God wasn't doing anything to Moses. But the people God asked Moses to leave were doing something to Moses. And so Moses at this point is like, God, you did this to me. These people. Why? And then he goes, have mercy on me, God. He is, he is, he is, he is so frustrated, so hurt. And then he goes on it. He goes, what did I do to deserve the burden of all these people? Little leadership fatigue here, I'm thinking. What did I do to you, God? And then he, then he goes on a little sarcasm. Did I give birth to them? Did I bring them into the world? I don't think so. 
And then he goes, why did you tell me to carry them in my arms like a, like a mother nursing a baby? Did you call me to be a wet nurse to your people? And he's like, oh, sarcastic. He's tired. He's frustrated. He probably went into something like this. Remember, I told you back in the bush, I didn't want to do this. I told you I wouldn't be able to pull it off. And here we go. They don't like me. And then he goes on. It says this, he says, how can I carry them to the land you swore to give their ancestors? Now, this is what we see a lot of times in leadership, even in your own life, even in life alone. We, as we live our lives and we walk with God, we begin to think the responsibility is on us. And Moses does the same thing. How am I supposed to take them into the land you swore their ancestors? I can't do this. I can't do it. I can't even make them happy. They, they, I, you've done all these amazing things. And they're still like, Moses, you stink. They keep whining to me saying, give us meat to eat. Verse 14, I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. And then here's desperation. If, if this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me now. Do me a favor and spare me this misery. Moses had taken upon himself the responsibility of something that only God could do. And he just goes to God. He says, God, I can't do this. Maybe there have been times in your life that you, the, the pressure of your family, the pressure of work, the pressure of, of life, the pressure of relational frictions, the pressure, and you're trying and you're doing your best and you, you just, God, I can't do this. I can't do it. I'm supposed to take care of this in my family. I can't even do it. I don't even know what to do. I'm, I'm so, I'm, I, I've come to the end of myself. And we bear the burden and we feel the pain and, and, and we go to God and be like, God, I can't do this. And here's the reality. Just like Moses, we're trying to do something that God never gave us the ability or the authority or the power to actually do. We are stewards of what God has given us. We are not owners. He's the owner. And Moses bears the burden and it's crushing him. I mean, he's like, just take, just zap me. Like, God, where are you going to put your fire because you're mad at them? Because I'm going to go stand right there. Go ahead, just do it. Like, he's done. And you may have been there before. And you may have even said things like this to God. And I want you to notice something. Moses expressing his pain and his hurt. He's honest before God. What's very interesting when I look at this, God doesn't shame him. God doesn't condemn him. God, God doesn't, doesn't say, Moses, come on. Suck it up, buttercup. Come on, follow me. He doesn't do that. Moses is tired, and God knows it. Moses feels alone, and God knows it. Moses is doing his best with what he has, and God knows it. Just like you. God knows it. 
So many times we forget that we serve a God who's gracious and kind. And when we come to the end of ourselves, we think, well then, what's the point? I'm a failure. I blew it. I don't have the solution. I don't have the answer. I might as well just quit. Might as well just quit on my family. Might as well just quit on, on God. Might as well just quit on this journey. Might as well just quit on, on, on asking God to help me in this journey. Might as well just give up. Forget it. And there's something similar here that we do that Moses does. We forget that we're actually not in charge. And we forget that God's not actually expecting us to have all the answers and to be the one, the know-it-all, the answer man. Or the, he's actually just asking us to trust him. I want you to see how God interacts with Moses and how he interacts with you when you come to him. So God knows all these things. Numbers 11 verse 16 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather before me 70 men. So this is in response to what Moses said. Who are recognized as elders and leaders of Israel. Bring them to the tabernacle to stand there with you. I will come down and I'm going to talk to you there. And I will take some of the spirit that's upon you and I will put the spirit upon them. They will bear the burden of the people along with you so you will not have to carry it alone. Notice who's doing the, the moving around of the burden. Notice who's doing the moving around of God's spirit. God, not Moses. He said, Moses, I want you to impart to them your spirit. No, no, Moses, the spirit that I put upon you, I called you. You didn't call me. I burnt the bush and didn't consume it. You didn't do that. You tried to convince me that you couldn't do it. And I said, yeah, but don't worry, Moses. Moses, remember? Moses, come here. Let's go back to this bush. Moses, remember, what did I say? But Moses, I will be with you. And remember, Moses, at that moment that you were like, oh, okay, all right, all right, game changer, God, you will be with me. Moses, have you forgotten? I will be with you. The same for you today, whatever you're facing, and you feel alone, and you feel it's too much, you feel it's overwhelming, you feel like you don't know what to do, you feel like we well, don't know what the answer is. Hey, excuse me, hang on, God goes, hang on, hang on, hang on, remember, remember, I'm with you. Come talk to me. And so God begins to work this thing out. So he then he begins to share the burden of this human, this man, Moses. Moses says, it's too much to bear. And God says, I know. I'm going to bring some help around you. So they're going to bear the burden. And so now, now there's, there's a, a shared burden. There's, there's a, each, each one of these, these leaders is now bearing a portion of the burden for God's people. Verse 18, and say to the people, purify yourselves for tomorrow you will have meat to eat. So this is, God shows up because you're going to have meat to eat. You were whining and the Lord heard you when you cried. Oh, for some meat, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will have to eat it. And it won't be just for a day or two. Now listen, this, this goes into, like, listen to this. This is like, um, 
like a, it seems like watching an eating competition on the Food Channel. You will not have it for one day or for five days or 10 days or 20. You will have to eat it for a whole month until you gag and are sick of it. For you have rejected the Lord who is here among you and you have whined to him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? Here these people, God had delivered them. God had saved them. God had provided for them. God had miraculously protected them, kept them warm. Gave them a leader to, to lead them into their promised land. And at some point they said, you know, I'd rather be a slave in Egypt and have meat than be free and have to eat what the God of the universe provides for me. The spirit of ungratefulness it shocks God. Not one cons consideration. So Moses, here he is, he, he cries out to God. He says, God, I can't do this alone. God says, I'm going to send others to help you. Now, this is what's interesting. Moses, at this, he doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. God brought these men to the tabernacle. God showed up and spoke to them. God, Moses is still running on leadership adrenaline. Like while God's saying, I'm going to share the burden, he's thinking, okay, how am, I, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this meat? If you're going to give a meat, how much meat am I going to have to figure out and find out? And how in the world are we going to get meat? And so like, this is Moses. We do the same thing. God's given us a, a solution and we're thinking, okay, how am I going to make sure the solution works? How, how am I going to do it? It's my power. I have to do it. God, this is all up to me. This is what Moses is doing. And his mind, he thinks, God, thanks for the help. Um, you just, told, you just told me to tell them we're, we're going to have meat every day. So where the heck am I going to get meat? Numbers 11, Moses responded to the Lord. Okay, real quick. God, I've been running the numbers just in case you're not aware. I've ran the numbers. 600,000 foot soldiers are here with me. And what you just said, I will give them meat for a whole month. Okay, that's a lot of meat, God. And then he goes, I've also been calculating livestock, all this. If we butchered all our flocks and herds, that wouldn't actually be able to pull it off. Even if we caught all the fish in the sea, would that be enough? Now, here's Moses. He's, he, he's, a, he's a little out of his mind. And I don't know if, if, uh, if God at some point says, hey, Moses, just... Uh, Wake up for a second. You're in the desert. There's no sea, no fish. What are you talking about? Moses, you're my servant. I'm your master. You're a steward. I'm the owner. And then God realigns Moses appropriately. Numbers 11:23. Hey son, has my arm lost its power? Excuse me, let me flesh this foot. Does this look weak to you? <laughs> I 
I'll tell you what. I'm going to show you. You're going to see whether or not my words come true. Now, go and tell the people what I told you to tell them. So here's Moses. Put yourself in Moses' shoes just for a moment. These people, they've been complaining. He's a little frustrated with them. He goes, hey, everybody, we need a family meeting. So a couple million of them gather up. So that meat that you wanted, that meat that I've heard you complain about, that meat that you can't stop complaining about because you don't have it, that meat that you don't, you don't have and it's distracting you from being grateful for what you do have, I got some good news for you. But also some bad news for you. Which one you want first? I'm sure someone in the, in the crowd starts chanting, we want meat, we want meat. So he's like, oh my gosh, these people. He says, okay, okay. Well, the Lord said, you're going to get the meat you want. And someone sh shouts, see, I told you if we complained, I told you if we grumbled long enough, I told you if we murmured, I told you if we spoke a little louder at the tent, at the doorway of our tent, Moses would hear us. I told you. And he'd give us what we want. And Moses regains the order. Well, you're going to get meat. You're going to get a lot of meat. And you have to eat it. You won't have it one day or two days or three days. You're going to have so much meat, it's going to come out of your nose. So this is, there's something about complaining and ungratefulness. That if you're God's child, he cannot allow that to go undisciplined. Now, we don't like the word discipline, do we? I've never told my children, I'm going to discipline you. Right? Thank you, Daddy. I'm so grateful. Never. But according to Hebrews, the discipline from the Lord, now hear me today. The discipline of the Lord to your life is a sign that you're his child. Discipline from the Lord is a, should be an encouragement that you belong to him. And he loves you enough to discipline you. Hebrews also goes on to say that, that if God did not discipline you, you would be illegitimate children. In other words, you wouldn't, it mean, it's a sign you don't belong to him. Any good parent who's striving to be a good parent knows a good parent is one who disciplines. Why do we do it? Because we are teaching our children something young, disciplines now when they're young, so that when they grow old, they don't make really, really dumb mistakes. We help them understand that there's consequences for your decision. There's consequences. Hang on. Listen to this one. There's consequences for your attitude. That's why as parents, we discipline the heart, not behaviors. We find out what in the world's going on in the heart. Here God, God sees the heart of his people who are spoiled, they're entitled, they're complaining, and they're supposed to go and they're supposed to inherit the land. 
They're going to be fighting amongst each other. They're going to be, so they're going to be spoiled brats shoving their face full of big old grapes and being like, God, they should have been bigger. And the Lord said, oh, this is not going to serve you well. So he makes this an object lesson. So let's take a look at it. So verse 31, now the Lord sent a wind that brought quail from the sea and let them fall all around the camp. Four miles in every direction, there were quail flying about three feet above the ground. So the people went out and caught quail all the day and throughout the night and all the next day too. No one gathered less than 50 bushels. They spread the quail all around the camp to dry. But while they were gorging themselves on the meat, while it was still in their mouths, the anger of the Lord blazed against the people and he struck them with a severe plague. Quick random thought. You ever had a toddler who was trying to eat something and they just, I want to eat it, I want to eat it, and I want to eat it, and I want to eat it. They're screaming, they're reaching, they're trying to keep, you're like, fine, just eat the onion, just eat the onion, go ahead. <laughs> they finally grab it, eat it, and go, yeah! That's what's happening here. Why'd you give them the onion? So they would understand when you say, no, it's actually for their own good. Verse 34, so that place was called Kibroth Hatava, which means graves of gluttony. So people died. And they buried the people who had craved meat from Egypt. There's a scholar in a, a Bible commentary writer, his name is Ronald B. Allen. He writes this description of this scene. This is what he writes. The scene must have been similar to a riot. People screaming, <laughs> birds flapping their wings. Everywhere, the pell-mell movement of a meat-hungry people in a sea of flying birds. Dare we picture people ripping at the birds, eating flesh before cooking it like beast in their behavior. They must have been like a sugar-crazed boy in a child's daydream. The boy afloat a chocolate sandwich cookie raft in a sea of chocolate syrup and nibbling at the cookie right before he drowns in the dark, sweet sea. I love that. That's really cool. And they named the place the Graves of Gluttony. That which could have been celebrated, they could have given thanks for, they could have had the manna, which would have had all the nutrients they needed, that which they could have eaten, that which God provided, they didn't have to work for it. Actually, they did. They had to pick it up. Instead of celebrating, instead of rejoicing, instead of being like, Lord, I don't know why you delivered us out of our slavery. 
but you did. And I'm grateful. Lord, I don't know why you saved me. I don't know why you forgave me. I don't know why you, you put your hand in my life. I don't know why you give me your peace when I'm stressed and fearful. I don't know why you, you've been so good to me when I've failed you. But I thank you. And if you ever choose to not do another thing, I'm still going to be thankful. I'm still going to worship you. Because slavery was my absolute hell. And you've set me free. But they didn't say that. And many times we don't say that either. I don't mean this to embarrass anyone, but I had a conversation with someone in this church. Their, their dog was like 17 years old. And they prayed that God would heal their dog. Great. And their dog died. And they had a crisis of faith. What? They stopped going to church. What? Perspective. They had lost touch of what Jesus had actually done for them. And they had become entitled, same as these people. We do it all the time. Lord, I can't believe. Why, God, oh, why? And I'm, I am not diminishing the pain that you are going through. I'm not diminishing the disappointment you're dealing with. But you must remember where you came from. While you were an enemy with God, Christ died for you. He rescued you out of the, your darkness and your sin and your filth. You were a slave to sin. You were a slave. You had nothing in you that was righteous, that was holy. You couldn't even make a good decision. If it depended on your life, you were damned and doomed to hell. And God came down and he bared the weight of your sin and he went to that altar called the cross and he paid the price for you. And he took you from a kingdom of darkness and he set you into the kingdom of his light. He broke off of you every slave master, taskmaster. He crushed Satan underneath his foot and he delivered you. And he brought you on the other side of the Red Sea of his blood and he planted you for you to be free forever. We must not forget where we came from. For a moment today, just want to bring this principle to our lives today. The children of Israel were going from their destitute, their slavery, into the promised land. And I if we want to bring this into modern times, I'll tell you this. Anytime God is taking his people, and many times God takes his people as, as a community, as a, as a church, 
He'll lead the, the church somewhere. He's doing something in the midst of his local church. And any time that God is doing something, any time that God is taking people from one place to another place, he's wanting to bring you to an inheritance. He's wanting to do something for your family. He's wanting to move among us. He's wanting to even bring revival. He's wanting to move in his power. He's wanting to unleash all the things that he wants for us, his good things, his great things. He's wanting to give us things we didn't work for just like them. They were going to go to the promise that they're going to live in houses they didn't build, drink from wells they didn't dig. They're going to eat from crops they didn't, they, they didn't plant. They're going to drink from wine vineyards they didn't. They were going to, they're going to drink from wine that they didn't have to squash with their own feet. I mean, this was going to be amazing. And anytime God begins to move a community under his new covenant, into a new experience with him, into a new level, into something more powerful, into, into his spirit moving among us and ministering to our young people and filling us fresh and new with his spirit and his power to allow us to be lights to shine in the midst of a dark world. Anytime God's like, come on and follow me, anytime, that is a time and an opportunity for the spirit of complaining to fall on every one of us. And we must contend for contentment. We must contend for a heart of gratitude. So quickly, what does complaining reveal in us? If you find yourself complaining, what is it revealing? If you sense that things are shifting and changing and all of a sudden there's something in you that... Uh, I want meat. I want what we used to have. I want the Jericho marches around the church again. I will, I'll give it to me. I don't want this. Well, who is this guy? Who is he? Think? Hang on. What does it reveal? It reveals a lack of trust that God is actually in control and leading you to his best for you. Even in your personal life, in your family, when things start to shift and, boy, I don't, this is uncomfortable. I don't know about this. We have, you have two options. You can complain or you can trust. Lord, you deliver me from Egypt. You brought me across the Red Sea. You defeated my enemy. And your word says that you will never leave me nor forsake me. And you are a man of your, God, you are not a liar. You're a good father. And you've been with me. You're going to be with me in this transition, in this time, in this moment. You're with me. I'm not alone. God, I give you thanks. And I give you praise. And I worship you today. So when, when something comes in your life and you hear yourself complaining, hold it back and begin to praise God for everything he's done. Lord, I thank you. And friends, this will position you to receive and move into the promise. Now think about the children of Israel. God had a promise for them, didn't he? But what prevented them from getting there sooner? This thing. The meat between your two teeth. God's like, they're not ready. Let's, let's go. No, oh, no, let's go around one more time. We're not ready. God, the promise was already there. 
But what disqualified them from actually being able to step into the, the, the promised land? This thing, this mouth, complaining, grumbling, murmuring, gossiping. Why, God, why? The Lord's like, I can't trust you with the blessing yet. We must contend for the spirit of thankfulness. Matthew 12, 34 says this. For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. Listen to your words, friends. And then once you hear what's actually in your heart, say, Lord, oh, forgive me. I've lost perspective. And Lord, I want everything you have for me. ESV says it this way, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, whatever you are storing and considering in your heart will eventually come out of your mouth. And when you hear it, it's not to condemn you. Ask the Lord to change your heart, change your perspective. Begin to thank him for what he has done for you. What does complaining affect? Well, this is what complaining affects. Complaining poisons the wells that that are in your life to bless you. I've never talked to a married couple that said this, you know, we were really struggling, but what really made the difference, we just started complaining about each other. And our hearts just drew closer together. And I mean, right, isn't that sweetheart? Yeah, that's right. I hated how you say, yes, that's right. But anyway, that's what we've done. No couple has ever said that. Whether it's your marriage, your children, your job, your church, complaining poisons the well that God put in your life for you to drink deeply from and be satisfied. And Lord, when you hear that, stop. God has a promise in that well in your life. If you're around people that start complaining about other things and other people, listen, listen. Why don't you tell them, hey, I'd be careful. You just dump some battery acid in that well that you're supposed to drink from. It's not going to serve you very well. Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace, grace. Everybody say grace. Grace to those who hear. Complaining is not grace. It's selfish, self-centered. For a church, listen, one of the, one of the main things the enemy does, one of, the, one of the poisons that he uses to spoil the wells of churches all around the world is complaining. People grumbling and murmuring and complaining And it hardens their heart. The one thing that concerns me the most for us as a church, the most, top, number one, is that we remain in unity. We don't allow the spirit of division to come in over silly stuff, over meat, over water, over paint color. that we fight for unity. And friends, I'll tell you this, in unity, 
that we together, nothing will be able to stop us. Come hell or high water, come a storm, come persecution. No matter what, together in unity, it commands the blessing of God and he comes in our midst and he begins to do supernatural things right where we are. Maybe one of the hindrances that has kept God's spirit from really being released among us is that we have disunity in our own hearts. This is a season to evaluate this and to say, Lord, take a look. Forgive me. Because, friends, I think God has something incredible for us as a church. And so we're going to contend for unity together. And then this last one, I had a hard time writing this because it feels a little self-serving, but it applies to other areas in our lives. But who does complaining impact the most? It impacts the leaders. Servant leaders God has placed in your life to serve you. Servant leaders. Listen, if you're under a... um, a demanding, manipulative, power-hungry leader, let me just give you some advice. Get out. If you're in a church where someone is leading that way, get out. If you're in a marriage, get counseling. But this reality, servant leaders who are there to serve you, there to be a blessing to you, complaining impacts them the most. Complaining about a husband, a father, a mother, a wife, a pastor, they are there to serve you. Scripture says this out of Hebrews 13. And this is is a word that we don't like. And let me redefine it for you. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Let me redefine this. Because us Americans say, I ain't gonna obey nobody. Land of the free and the home of the brave and give me my gun. Here we go. It says this. Obey your leaders. You know, obey your leaders. Submit to them. You know what the word submit means? Allow yourself to be protected by them. that's, That's all it means. So when it says, wives, submit to your husbands, all it means is allow your husband to protect you in a way that God's called him to protect you. That's it. It's not, it's nothing prideful or positional. It's just about Allow yourself to be protected. Obey your leaders and submit to them. This is written to a church, so it's speaking to Christians. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. In other words, what leaders in your life do who are are in a role that is called by God to, to serve you, they have to give an account before God. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. The Lord has a blessing for you. And it begins, how how do you reach that? How do you get there? First, listen to this. And then whatever comes out that you realize, that's not gonna gonna get me to my promised land. Then begin to ask the Lord to evaluate. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your word that's so challenging. That cuts us deep. Thank you, God, that you've given us this example. And Lord, I thank you that we are under the new covenant. That your anger has been satisfied 
through your son Jesus. But you've given us the spirit to convict us. Not to condemn us, but to reveal to us that which we need to surrender and put into your hands. So Lord, today, just for a moment, right where you are, just ask the Lord to evaluate your heart. Lord, is there any area that I'm I'm short-circuiting the blessing you have for me? Lord, is there a servant leader in my life that I've I am tearing down by complaining all the time. Lord, is there a person in my life that I just, they're a lightning rod for my discomfort of just life. Lord, I ask you today to forgive me, to cleanse me, to deliver me. God, today I lay my life at your feet and I ask you to use me. God, I know you have a promised land for me. And so from this day forward, I'm going to inherit that promised land by speaking life, speaking kindness. And Jesus today, Lord, forgive us for being ungrateful for what you've done for us. Forgive us for losing perspective and doubting you over silly stuff. Lord, today we recommit and submit our lives to you that we would be lights and we would be people who speak encouragement and life to all that's around us. And we give you praise and thanks and honor for all that you've done. And we are excited for the journey that you have us on. In Jesus' name, we all say amen and amen. Can we give the Lord a hand today? If we can, let's stand to our feet today. I want you to know something, church. I love you. I'm grateful for you. I'm excited to be on this journey with you. If you'd be open, just lift your hands to the Lord. I just want to pray a blessing over you today. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for your people. I ask you, God, that you would prosper them, you would lead them, you would guide them. Lord, I ask you that you would heal them, that you would show them your incredible love and kindness to them, that you today are drawing them near to you, not to condemn, but to restore and heal and to set on a pathway to receive all that you have for them. Bless them, encourage them. God, heal every mind, restore broken relationships. May we leave here today determined to contend, to bring you honor and to be thankful. In Jesus' name, we all say amen and amen. God bless you.